This is Everyday Light, a perfectly imperfect reading of the One Year Daily Bible. I'm Molly, a fellow pilgrim on the road to the kingdom, and it is a joy to have you traveling this journey with me, with the Word of God as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Welcome. This is the One Year Bible Reading for June 18th, and we are starting today in the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 19. Yesterday when we were reading, we heard the story of Elijah um, who confronted the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, and uh, called down fire from heaven to burn up this offering that was saturated in water, um, and then girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot. Um, and, uh, and so that's where we pick up this morning. When Ahab got home, he told Je Jezebel what Elijah had done and that he had slaughtered the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods also kill me if by this time tomorrow I have failed to take your life like those whom you have killed. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the desert, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. This is just always such a remarkable thing to me that Elijah, I mean, it's Elijah, right? And he has just called down fire from heaven and experienced miraculous mountaintop-like experiences. And yet here he finds himself praying to die. Um, it's, it's actually a strange encouragement, right? To those of us who find ourselves in despair over seemingly um, insignificant circumstances compared to what the Lord has done. I mean, he's facing the threat of one woman, granted an evil woman, but really. Verse five, then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and saw some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more for there is a long journey ahead of you. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now I have to just pause here because the Lord said he was going on a journey. And the only way we can really understand this is that Elijah did his own thing. He went his own way. He chose the way the Lord intended to lead him into victory and instead he ran to defeat and went his own direction. And our, our women's study right now is studying a passage in Genesis where um, after Adam and Eve eat the fruit and God looks for them in the garden and they're hiding, God says, where are you? And how we hear the Lord's voice is actually very revealing as to how we see God. Um, because I always heard that passage with um, condemnation, you know, where are you? I'm looking for you. But instead, likely, the Lord who enjoyed such wonderful fellowship with these two was, was saying with compassion and sorrow, you know, where are you? Um, and so likewise, we can see that in this passage. What are you doing here, Elijah? You know, why, why have we come here? 
Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I alone am left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain. Okay, hopefully we're back again. So the Lord says to him, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And again, I think that's confirmation. That's a gentle, the gentle whisper of the Lord. So if you find yourself in circumstances right now that maybe the Lord didn't intend, he may be saying the same thing to you. What are you doing here? Sweet son, sweet daughter, who I love. Let's come together, you know, walk my way. He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I alone am left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, go back the way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and appoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed to Baal or kissed him. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field with a team of oxen. There were 11 teams of oxen ahead of him, and he was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and walked away again. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, first, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, go on back, but consider what I have done to you. Elisha then returned to his oxen, killed him, killed them, sorry, and used the wood from the plow to build a fire, to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the other plowmen and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Turning to the New Testament, Acts chapter 12. And what we have been hearing about is the growth of the church, the dramatic growth of the church and the inclusion of Gentile believers. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had killed the apostle James, John's brother, with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish leaders, he arrested Peter during the Passover celebration and imprisoned him placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod's intention was to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, chained between...
few soldiers, with others standing guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel tapped him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up, and the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your, your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was really happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate, to the street, and this opened to them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally realized what had happened. It's really true, he said to himself. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jews were hoping to do to me. I was thinking this morning how we can rejoice like that, you know, when we realize how the Lord has set us free. Um, what amazing grace. After a little thought, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally went out and opened the door, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them what had happened and how the Lord had led him out of jail. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said, and then he went to another place. At dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. When he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. Afterward, Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. Now Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, so they sent a delegation to make peace with him because their cities were dependent upon Herod's country for their food. They made friends with Blastus, Herod's personal assistant, and an appointment with Herod was granted. When the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robes, sat on his throne, and made a speech to them. The people gave him a great ovation, shouting, It is the voice of a god, not of a man. Instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness because he had accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. So he was consumed with worms and died. Psalm 136. After each phrase, we are going to affirm the following. His faithful love endures forever. So if you're in a place where you can do it, I hope you will say that part along with me. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavens so skillfully. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who placed the earth on the water. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights. His faithful love endures forever. The sun to rule the day. His faithful love endures forever. 
and the moon and stars to rule the night. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who killed the firstborn of Egypt. His faithful love endures forever. He brought Israel out of Egypt. His faithful love endures forever. He acted with a strong hand and powerful arm. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who parted the Red Sea. His faithful love endures forever. He led Israel safely through. His faithful love endures forever. But he hurled Pharaoh and his army into the sea. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who led his people through the wilderness. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who struck down mighty kings. His faithful love endures forever. He killed powerful kings. His faithful love endures forever. He killed powerful kings. His faithful love endures forever. Shihon, king of the Amorites, his faithful love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, his faithful love endures forever. God gave the land of these kings as an inheritance. His faithful love endures forever. A special possession to his servant, Israel. His faithful love endures forever. He remembered our utter weakness. His faithful love endures forever. He saved us from our enemies. His faithful love endures forever. He gives food to every living thing. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His faithful love endures forever. It strikes me as I was reading that, that that would be such a good exercise to break down the journey of our lives into little phrases. Um, just recounting God's goodness throughout so many instances in our journey and then repeating that phrase after each one. We could have the same testimony. Proverbs 17, 14, and 15. Beginning a quarrel is like opening a floodgate, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. The Lord despises those who acquit the guilty and condemn the innocent. And to end today, I have a selection from Paul David Tripp's New Morning Mercies. And it starts, Through difficult relationships and circumstances, God works to expose your heart so that you will seek the grace that can only be found in him. Where does your mind go? Where does your heart run when difficulty enters your door? None of us likes to suffer. None of us enjoys dealing with the unexpected. We all like our plans to work and our dreams to come true. We all want a life that is comfortable and predictable. The normal person simply doesn't esteem the spiritual value of hardship. Because of this, it tends to be difficult for us to stay on God's agenda page. If our goal for our lives is temporal, personal happiness, whatever our definition of that may be, then we're going to live in a street-level agenda conflict with our Savior, no matter what our confessional theology may be. Many Christians live right there. They say they believe in the truths of Scripture. They say they have placed their trust in the Messiah. But they live in an unspoken state of disappointment, irritation, impatience, or frustration with God. This state is often characterized by this classic question. If God loves me, then why would he blank? Let's unpack the question. First, there is no if to the love of God. As the psalmist says, his steadfast love endures forever. 
His love is never fickle. It never grows weary. It will never run out. This means it is never up for question. Second, consider the content of the question. Rather than asking, what good and wise thing is the God who loves me doing in what doesn't seem good and wise, the question immediately expresses doubt about the character of God. The answer to this kind of question never leads you anywhere spiritually good. Here's the bottom line. You and I struggle with the faithfulness of God, not because he has been unfaithful, but because we have. You may be thinking, Paul, what are you talking about? From day one, God has clearly communicated his zeal to us. It is his purpose that by the means of rescuing, forgiving, transforming grace, we would be brought into relationship with him and in the context of that relationship be fully molded into the image of his son. He has never promised us that he will deliver to us our personal definition of the good life. Rather, he has promised that he will use all the tools at his disposal to complete the work of redemption that he has begun in our hearts and lives. He has not been unfaithful. He has kept every one of his promises. He will do what he said. Our problem is that we tend to be unfaithful to his holy agenda and get kidnapped by our plans for us and our dreams for our lives. The trials and the trials in our lives exist not because he has forgotten us, but because he remembers us and is changing us by his grace. When you remember that, you can have joy in the middle of what is uncomfortable. So I hope if you are in uncomfortable circumstances, maybe even just internally today, that you will rest in the grace of God. Have a wonderful day. Love you all.